Well, there's three people in this side. How's, how, what about everybody else over here? How are you all doing? Oh, we've got a great... Oh, okay, let's see if I can tap that one. How's everybody at this side doing? Uh, uh, well, we'll work on it later on. Okay. Who was a smaller person who was using this last week? It's always the, always the thing. But um, anyways, uh, you're very, very welcome. If this is your first time in Journey Down Patrick, you're especially welcome. It's, uh, it's, it's really... I don't know about you, but over the past number of weeks, but months especially, I just feel like there's something happening in our community. There's something happening specifically, not only in, in Journey as a whole, but for Diane Patrick specifically, I just feel like God's really starting to, you know, Anne spoke there about new beginnings, new things. It just feels like the ground, you know, Diane Patrick's always spoken in that place. That's the hard ground, the hard place. But I just feel like the Lord has been really softening, not only us, but softening what, uh, what he's doing in our communities. And I just really feel like there's just something that is traction that we are growing and that it's really cool to see when you do need to crash. I think that's often a good sign. And I think that's a really cool thing. So um, we're not just looking for volunteers. We're looking for people to raise up the next generation. Okay, that's that's the people that it starts then. It starts it starts there. And, uh, you know, if we can't do it with a little, then we can't do it with those who we feel like we're necessarily called to. So I'd encourage you to, um, the more people, it's like we say, it's always the first, You never nobody really wants to be the first one to go in because they feel like they're signing their life away. But if we actually can all go in and then all of a sudden you're only really on every once to one to six weeks type thing. So... Um, that would be good. So, yeah, we are starting our Ecclesia series, which is the heart of the church, which, you know, is anybody heard of the, the term or phrase Ecclesia before? It's not a, I know some have, it's not necessarily one that we obviously use because it's Greek. So anybody here speak Greek? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't know. It's one of those ones that, um, I do get interested about some of the, what words mean. I, and then I sometimes figure out that I, I went down a rabbit hole and actually I, I got the, the meaning wrong, so I have to go back and start all over again. So it's always a, a learning curve, which is good. But uh, for those of you who don't know, Ecclesia, obviously heart of the church, but actually it just translates to, um, it's where we get the English word church from, but also it has a, a bit more of a unpacking and a meaning, which we're going to do, which we'll do today, which, which will be good. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I want to read some of this, okay? So I always love uh, a couple of jokes, so you can you can laugh with me if not. It just I'm at that stage where I find some things funny, which maybe are not for you. But um, At a Sunday school, they were teaching how God created everything, including human beings. Mm. Little Johnny seemed especially intent when they told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. Later in the week, his mother noticed little Johnny lying as though he were ill on the floor. And she said, Johnny, what's the matter? While holding the pain in his side, little Johnny responded, I think God's about to give me a wife. Thought that was funny, huh? uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was just you know. Funny. Uh, on the Sunday before Christmas, a reverend or a or a bishop was uh, was walking down a street on his way to see a parishioner. However, he wanted to post a parcel urgently, urgently. So he asked the little boy where he could find the post office. When the little boy directed him, the reverend thanked him and said, "If you'll come to church later this evening, you can hear uh, me telling everyone how to get to heaven." The little boy replied, no, thank you. I think I'll pass. If you don't even know your way to the post office, I don't think you can lead me to heaven. <laughs> so that was a good one thing. Uh, anyways, I'll, I'll give you another one. I'll give you this last one. Uh, three buildings in town were overrun by squirrels. Anybody had rampant squirrels about now? The town hall, the hardware store, and the church. The town hall brought in some cats, but after they tore up all the files, the mayor got rid of them, and as soon as that, the squirrels were back. 
The hardware store humanely tramped the squirrels and set them free outside of town. But three days later, the squirrels were climbed back in. The church, however, had a different idea. They baptized the squirrels and made them members. Now they only see them at Christmas and Easter. So I thought that was a good one too. So anyways, as you can tell, there are jokes around. I know, I've got more of them, don't worry. Um, but I'll save you the... Um, as you can tell, some of those jokes were around the, the whole idea of church and what this really is, okay? But I want to read a passage of scripture which should come up on screen and it'll be in, uh, it'll be in Matthew 16, if I've got that right, um, okay? And this is when Peter confesses Jesus is the Christ, so they can follow along. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and some Jeremiah as one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjuna, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, And this is the point where Jesus then says, it is on this rock, pointing to himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It is here we see Jesus pointing to himself to be the rock of the church, but also where the profession of that he is, the Christ, he is the Lord, is actually on that is then he will see that his church will be built upon. When I say the word church, what comes to mind for you specifically? When I say church, maybe it's memories of the, the church you grew up in, the memories of, of the community you belong to. Maybe it's you think of an old building with a cross on top. Maybe it's like this picture where you see stained glass windows. It's actually funny how we, we leave our old buildings but then get pictures of old buildings and put them up on our technology screen. Sometimes that's really interesting that we do that. Um, or maybe it's a, uh, a pulpit that has the old purple tree and robe over the, over the sides. Or, or maybe it's a choir or a modern worship leader or a small group that met in a home. For all of us, church, and that word church conjures up different thoughts, different feelings, and different images, right? Yet what was interesting when Jesus used this phrase or this word that we now have translated into English as church, it was obviously from the Greek word ecclesia that we see but it was in Matthew 16, and he only, only uses it twice. We only see him use it in two occasions, which is Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, which is Jesus himself. We obviously see it throughout different parts of the New Testament. But we hear him directly speak about the kingdom of God 92 times, and actually church only two. So it makes me wonder, why did Jesus speak so little about the church, but so much about the kingdom? What's really important to know is, at the time of Jesus, and the day of Jesus, there were three main institutions in society, particularly for the Jewish people, there was a lot of others in terms of the, 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 the Greco-Roman and in that context, which you can do a lot more on. But in terms of the context that he's speaking with his disciples, there was, there was three main widely known ones. Okay? There was the temple. That was obviously where the priests and the sacrifice and the presence of God would have been. There's the synagogue, which is where the teaching of the scriptures, but also fellowship with other students would have taken place. And then there was what was called the ecclesia. Now, this was a much more informal institution. But what does this phrase, Ecclesia, actually mean? 
not enough just to know the English, but the ecclesia was first coined by the Greeks in the metropolitan cities, but then it was also subsequently taken by the Romans, which described the assemblies or the gatherings that helped govern and rule the cities that they both had governed and conquered. At a local level, it was then used to refer where a number of Roman citizens had simply gathered, a bit like this, or a bit like in a much more in a debate context, or, or talking about common law, and all, you know, those, those public assemblies, okay? But it means that the ecclesia in this context was a building-less, mobile people movement that was designed to operate 24-7 in every area of society for the purpose of having an influence on everyone and everything. The ecclesia was stretching beyond brick and mortar. It stretched beyond Rome. It stretched beyond Caesar and its rulers to have an influence and a direct influence on everyone and everything. See, what Jesus was getting at in a real, real simple nutshell was, remember, he didn't say, I will build my temple because he says, I will destroy it in three days. Or he didn't say, I would build my synagogue because he rose from the dead and actually the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead or miracles. But what he did say is, I will build my ecclesia. Now, it's important to know that Jesus wasn't discarding everything of the temple or everything of the synagogue because for his newfound radical community, he planned to keep the manifest presence, obviously, which is himself, but in a, in, a, in a conceptual idea, is he planned to keep the presence of God from the temple. He planned to keep the study of the word that was in the, in the synagogues and the fellowship of others, but he planned on using the location of the ecclesia. Really, really interesting how he took these three concepts. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew 18, which is the second occasion where he uses ecclesia, he says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be with them. Does anybody remember that verse? That's uh, 1820. This was the saying that was actually referred to the ecclesia that went round the Roman Empire at the time. Where it was actually said like this, it was where two or more Romans are gathered, Rome was in their midst. Jesus used what was a culturally colloquial term to actually speak something about the kingdom. I mean, that stuff fascinates me, right? But actually it was also where the Romans wanted people to know where two or more Roman citizens are, Caesar would, Caesar's rule would be in their midst. Jesus used this as a way to play on the very real reality, which you and I now know, is where two or more Christians would be, that Jesus' rule and his presence would be in their midst. So where you and I are this morning, as we are here just simply by default, now we know God is omnipresent, right? So we can really, really just chuck my sermon out of the window and go, right, God's everywhere, right? But when we look at it, where we are at, we are at right now, do we know, do we have this tangible awareness where, where two or more, you know, of, well, who's followers of Jesus in here? So there's quite a lot, right? If not all. So where we gather, Jesus is in his midst. I, I don't know about you, but there's something about the, the Romans understood what it meant to have authority and what it meant to go into a place to not only just invade it, but also to influence it, the, the culture at a depth at a level. So we gather today, not only just to, to make much of Jesus, to worship Jesus, but we gather today in the presence of Jesus. I mean, that, I don't know about you, but that to, complicate, to, com to contemplate on, not to complicate, but to contemplate on, it's quite profound. It's right here, right now. It's not about us. It's not about this. It's not about you and me. It's about 
The presence of God here in our midst, that's what we, and that's what Jesus talked about. I mean, if you think about it, if we just took away the, the, the walls that were here, and in reality, we're just standing in the middle of a town with cars driving past and we're singing about Jesus. Like if the walls were transparent and actually if the walls weren't here, like we may as well just go stand in the marketplace. Does anybody else's brain think like that? Where we could go absolutely anywhere, but it's where we're gathered, the presence of God shows up. It's quite, it's quite incredible. So it's just something for you to think about. Now, I'm not in this sermon trying to deconstruct or take away the structures or, or, the, or the, the mechanism which we use to have local church. That's not, that's the opposite of what I would be doing actually because I care about that. But what I do want to is deconstruct the boxes that we put the church and the ecclesia in. That's actually what Jesus was doing. What's really, really interesting, just a side note, is the word ecclesia was also packed with a lot of meaning. For, for the, as Jesus spoke this to his disciples, that's like me saying, you know, God wants you to be his uh, democratic party. He wants you to be his, his, uh, his executive. You know, it's, using, it's packed with political meaning and, and, and all sorts that actually, Jesus used a radical word to show that he was going to start a new radical movement. It was a word that was so shocking, there had to be a shock, and a shock to their system because they had to understand this is beyond the, 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 the preconceived images, ideas that we have of what it was to be in the temple and the synagogue. And Jesus today still wants to do that. So what does the ecclesia concept got to do with our church today? I believe it is because Jesus wants us not only to focus on his presence, to study his word, but it's actually to grasp the location of the ecclesia. That word, that's what it means, which is everywhere. And this, for you and me, does not give us the luxury to sit around and just do what is and what was, but it gives us implications to try and figure out how do we be church in the community going forward. So there's three implications that I want to look at, three concepts if you're taking notes, okay? The first one is this. We are to be a church where people can belong before they believe. We have to be a community, a gathering of people, regardless of where we're at, whether it's here, whether it's in Dunleith doing an explosion, or whether it's in we serves, whatever it may be, whatever context that we find ourselves in gathering, where people can belong before they believe. It's this idea that we have to move from a person first believing, behaving, and then belonging to actually countercultural, to actually people then being able to belong, to believe, and then figure out their behavior afterwards or as a byproduct. Back in the, the 1950s, I mean, I'm going back that far because, I mean, nobody was born in the 1800s, right? Or, you know, so I'm just trying to get something a bit more close to home. But what we can see back in the 1950s, anybody remember, obviously everybody knows Billy Graham, everybody knows a lot of the crusades that happened around the United States or even, you know, that, that swept into the UK. There was, there was mass evangelism gatherings. There was, culture was being impacted. And, and I guess the Western culture was, was deeply impacted at a, at a, at a societal-wide or, yeah, cross-cultural level that actually all of a sudden we were saying that it was okay for when the likes of Billy Graham's and others where they said you must have a confession of faith. You must repent and turn away from your sin or sinful friendship groups to then join a church community and family to follow Christ. I mean, in the most in the by part, that is correct, right? Repentance, believing in Jesus is important. However, as I began to study this, there are actually something that... Uh, right for the most part. 
See, this was not only done in a time of history where Christians, where church was in the mainstream, where our Christian values, where our, our, our ideas and, and, and belief systems were, were in the mainstream of culture. There every fam- not every, but majority of, of, of uh, families and homes across the Western and, and UK and Europe and, and America, they were able to, they, they had integrated into the, the family systems, the, the Christian beliefs, the traditional values. But how many of you know that culture and society's changed and it changes? Now, I'm not saying that our belief systems change with culture. That's not what I'm saying. But as church leaders, I'm actually, and we're finding that the church, we are only starting to, and we have for a while, but we're starting to see the real reality or the gap that actually exists between churches and our communities. Has anybody else began to notice that? That the, the, the chasm is actually a lot further than what we think. I mean, for me, for someone who has always been blessed to be able to be involved in community you know, uh, groups and organizations, it's continually starkly, I get a humbling experience to go, actually, you know, we're not as close as we think. Now, I'm not saying we're a million miles away, but uh, there's just something as you, you get this real understanding, oh, actually, this is maybe not, culture has radically changed. You see, at one stage where we where churches and Christian beliefs were at the center of society, we're now finding we're actually at the margins. And a lot of churches, we don't know what to do with it. You see, where churches used to hold that influence, where, the, where, the, where there were days where people could walk in, uh, off the street into the doors of churches, we're finding they can't, they're not doing that anymore. I want to ask a question. Who here in this room right now has just walked by our church and then decided to walk in one morning? Hands up, honestly. Look around. There's no one. Now, if some of you know, we've been, God, for some crazy and his wild imaginations, has given us the cricket club. All right? Not because we're going to do cricket outreach, although probably that could be a one way. He's bringing us to a location at the edge of town, and I felt like he spoke to me about it, if it really goes through. He said, I brought you all to the center of town. I mean, we could not be geographically any more central. He says, I brought you to the center of town to show you that cultures change when people are no longer walking in the doors. I'm now going to bring you to the edge of society to show you and strategically allow you to have, a, have a, a place where you will be able to reach your community. This, in our business minds, location is everything, but in the kingdom it's not. You see, we can get caught up in this idea as culture change as well. Do you know what? This town, our, our Western society, they're just heathen. You know what? They're too hard for the gospel. Do you know what? They, they're not hungry for the things of the spirit anymore. But actually, I would disagree because Jesus said that the harvest is plenty, but it's the, work, the workers that are few. So what does this mean for us? Because we already know this, right? What's the issue? Well, we know Western culture, our societies are changing at a rapid rate of knots. Where churches could rely on in their outreach capacity, where people would believe behave and then belong, we now have to get to a place that actually we can allow them to belong, believe, and then be able to figure out their behavior afterwards. You see, this is in a culture where there is a rapid growing suspicion of church leaders, hierarchy. You know, we're already looking across saying that, you know, pastors and leaders are, are falling at a, it seems like a forever rate of, of, of frequency where people are suspicious of churches, but are suspicious of Christians. But it's also turned out to be where they want to be able to look in the white in your eyes and know who you are. That's not just a Northern Irish thing, that's just a, it's just a cultural uh, trend thing. 
but it means for the church engaging with our communities, culture has to lend itself to that first relational aspect. Is this actually not the Jesus way after all? You see, a lot of, uh, a lot of people that are talking about this are, are, are starting to go, this is, has to be a new concept and a new way where we have to first allow people to belong, to then be able to believe and then behave. And it's not a new way because actually it's the Jesus way. Did Jesus not first deal with uh, people who were having extramarital affairs, people who were uh, in, embezzling money and tax collecting? Was there not people who were you know, seen in the fringes and the margins of society? Is, is that Jesus first getting them to believe in him? I mean, was there not loads of times where the disciples time and time again did not twig on to what Jesus was saying and yet they still belonged? Jesus shows us that actually people can first belong to him before they can have all the other stuff figured out. It's not saying that we get comfortable with sin. We'll talk about that later on. It's why when we talk about the ecclesia as a location without boundaries and walls, it's a mindset where we have to do relationship where our people are at. But in our church mentalities, we have what I like to call, and maybe said this before, uh, functional beliefs and then aspirational beliefs. But a lot of us, and I'm including myself in this, we can often have the, we think we have the functional belief that we can, people can do relationship with us, but actually it's just an aspirational one because our behaviors aren't matching it. Although I think in journey we do, you know, well, I'm biased, I'm obviously going to say that, that we actually are making movements to do that. You see, it is one of the reasons why we do our Easter explosions. It's why we do our WeServe projects, who, in, in honesty, do cost money, and they do. And there's other ways that we can do this as well. And we're we're always refining our, our strategy and our, our our ability to engage with our community. But it's why we do this. It's funny because it, it's not a necessarily about a location, but a faith journey. And I find myself. I used to really all the time go. I went in when I first got saved. It was like, right, who are the who are the uh, the Christians and then the non-Christians. And the more I've journeyed on this, I felt like Jesus was challenging me to see people as Christians and not yet Christians. To see people as followers of him and not yet followers of him. The main goal is not about getting people to church. Although that is one of my goals, if I'm being honest. But the priority is about getting them to have an encounter uh, and, and with the power and love of Jesus where they're at. If the goal for all of the things we do, it's to engage with people in such a way that they look at our lives from every single angle. They see Jesus as the only feasible alternative to the, the one they're currently living. Let me say that again. The goal of when we engage with our community as the ecclesia, where we gather, is so that we would engage with people in such a way that they would look at our lives from every angle and they would see that Jesus is the only feasible alternative to the life that they're currently living. If you're taking notes, the second part of this is people don't have to look or act like us in order to do life with us. You see, for far too long, churches, we set up these official but also unofficial boundaries that dictate whether a person can belong to church or not. Sometimes that is at a very conscious level, but 90% of the time it's actually at a subconscious level. I'm going to ask you a question that you can, you can mull over because I ask myself this. What barriers are you putting up to your community engaging with you in this church? What mindsets do you have that, that, that slip out in your actions and your, and your language that all of a sudden create a barrier or, or a th something that people have to get over? 
whether it's about how we think we should dress, how we should, or maybe where we live or the type of job or whether we work or not, whether we are, are married to the person we live with or not, whether we, we struggle with uh, alcohol or substance abuse. You see, as, as people who follow Jesus, we can subconsciously think there has to be certain behavior styles, lifestyles, or standards that we must go through in order to be a true follower of Jesus. In other words, depending on your church upbringing, you will view the journey of faith in one of two ways I've sort of come to realize. Now let's see which one of these ways resonate with you, okay? The first one, uh, Katie, if you can pop the picture uh, one up, is what I like to call moving through stages, okay? Well, first off, the first picture shows you that it's a boundary, that it's like you're either in or you're out, or you shake it all about and you do the hokey-cokey and you turn around, right? No, no. The second picture that comes up, this is the stages that actually is really consistent in this. You know, and the, the outer ring is the, is the context, is the community. It's, it's wherever you find yourself. It's your friendship groups, your, your families. It's, you know, the, the Down Patrick and wider County Down community. It's, it's all of that, right, is in that midst. It's, that's the location where you find yourself. Then the, the dotted line is where the, the congregation, it's where people who maybe have interacted with Journey, people who maybe you know, have been on their own journey and, and you're talking to them about church or whatever it may be, it's those people who, you know, the, the boundaries are very gray because you know, it's, like, you know, it's like we often have had people say, you know, I go to that church, but they've never stepped through the door. You know, people have often said that, you know, you know, it's funny, well, I've told you a story about their hairdresser before, you know, and she would often talk about you know, myself in this church and so on as well. And it's like, you know, the, the boundaries are gray, right? And then you have what is called, in the very, very center, is the committed core. It's the people who, who live and breathe maybe this church, a church, or, or are involved in some capacity. And what happens is the first stage, we're on the outside. We're in our communities where we're at. And then we're not yet involved in church. But then all of a sudden, we join one. Bingo, we're in, right? Just like the first image, if you can put it up, Katie. You're in the blue, Join a church bingo, now you're in the yellow, right? Then when you're in, our next stage in following Jesus is where we hope to get involved in something, maybe like a kids' mini or a crash. I think a crash is a good time now to get involved in something, right? Or a cafe team, whatever it may be, and you become part of what they say, the committed core, right? Happy days, now you're really in. And because you're really in, this is what helps you separate from the real Christians, from the part-timers. The real Christians from the part-timers, right? But there's something about that that doesn't really feel like Jesus, does it? But if we're honest, how many of that is actually the nature of Norman Church? Now, again, I'm not deconstructing the whole thing because it obviously is processes, but what about a second option? Picture two if it comes up. And this is where actually the direction is no longer coming from the blue over the boundary into the yellow. It's actually about the direction in which we're all moving in. This is the view that a person's journey of faith is not all about moving from certain stages in order to become a better Christian, but rather that we're all created to be moving towards the center. Anybody guesses who's the center? Jesus, yes, that's right. She was like, it's Jesus, I know. What was that Sunday school thing? Jesus is always the answer, right? Let me explain. Instead of putting things uh, we do or the areas in church that we serve in as a center to define, remember look at the bottom, is define whether we're becoming more like Christ. It's actually when the closer we move towards the center, which is Christ, the more like him we become. 
in the context of the ecclesia, in the location of the ecclesia. You see, as you can see, some arrows, you know, there's, there's some that are further away from the center than others. There's some arrows that, are, that are, have been going for a lot longer than others. There's some arrows that are coming from different directions, different contexts. You see, this shows us that some arrows are further away than the center, that actually we have to meet people where they're at. But they're actually then, it's getting moved towards Jesus. Or some arrows show us that some are longer than others. It shows us that the journey isn't just about getting confessed and baptized like those squirrels. But regardless of the distance of the arrows that we find people in our communities are moving from, or the speed in which they're going, people were always supposed to be defined by the direction in which they're moving rather than the boundary which they fit it into. Let me say that again. People in this church and in our community, we are to be defined by the direction in which you're moving rather than the boundaries and the, the, the fences that we fit into. And subconsciously, it's why I asked that question, how many of us are doing that? You've asked me to help us as a community to reach our community. This is the stuff we gotta do. This is one of the main reasons why we actually don't have membership in Journey. I understand that different denominations and faiths can do it, but it's the understanding that Christ's plan for his ecclesia is to have an, have an influence everywhere on an everyone. That where people are defined by the direction they're moving in versus having to overcome the boundaries that we subconsciously or constantly set up for our churches. That as a church, our heart would be seated. People's lives would be touched by the power of God where they are at. That we would step out of the boundaries that we've set up and to go to them where we're at so that we would see the power of God touch them where they're at, and then all of a sudden where their arrow might have been pointing to a different religion, a different faith, or a, or a different you know, substance that give them peace, that all of a sudden, they would, what is repentance? They would turn in a direction, and they would move in the same direction which we're all moving in. Not just in Journey, but in every other church, hopefully. That actually that's what we define. We keep the main thing the main thing. We no longer need to get caught up over some... The only theological thing I'll really get caught up over is who's actually at the center. I can be nice, but that's when I don't get nice. And actually our community, who's richly diverse in, in their, their cultural beliefs and backgrounds, you know, we actually put Christ at the center. Our job is then to walk alongside them and have relationships with them regardless where they're at so that the goal is that they become like Christ, not like the boundaries or the, the church images that we believe they should have. How many of us believe we should look like a certain image? But who is that image of? Is that of your churchmanship or is that of Jesus? How many of us are so good at beating ourselves up? Holding ourselves to a high holy standard, which we will never meet. You see, if we feel like there's a standard which we should be reaching, well, we have to ask, what is that standard? Is that of, a, of an image, of a look, of an external boundary that we have to step over? Or actually, is it then, you know, the image of Christ, which then he does say that all have sinned and fall short of glory, so then we get to receive grace, so that barrier comes down. We no longer have shame in our lives and in our churches. And then all of a sudden, you and I actually get to, to, to let shame go and go, do you know what? I mess up from time to time, but I want to keep moving. doesn't matter at the speed, at the pace. doesn't matter you know, as long as the direction is toward Jesus. That's why we do communion. 
It's why we talk about in the ecclesia, who's at the heart. You see, in the Roman ecclesia, Caesar was at the heart. He ruled with an iron fist. Maybe you're here today, and uh, this week we're going to be you know, voting. I would encourage you to vote. If you don't vote, you can't complain. I'll not go down that direction. Jesus tells me to be aware of the, the east of Herod and of the Pharisees, the religious and political spirit. But go vote. It's d- democratic right. But as a pl- particular politician or party at the center of your arrows, or is Jesus? Anyways, that was a side note. Third point. We are to be a church that moves from building fences to digging wells. Let me say that again. We are to be a church that moves from building fences to digging wells. You see, farm analogy, great. They actually work. That's why Jesus used so many of them. Here in rural Northern Ireland, our, our farmers would have, they put up fences to keep their livestock in, right? But also to keep other people's livestock out. You know, Hannah was telling me that one of the neighbors feels all broken and it's like, you know, Hannah's like, I wouldn't want to work for Hannah because she's like, you go tell that person to get the livestock out of the out of our field and, you know, because they're eating our fertilizer prices are up and, you know, this is, it's all offenses, right? You know, you got to, the boundaries are set up, right? And that's obviously, of course, because I would be as well. I just think the rule should be that they're in my field and they're my sheep, but apparently that's not an etiquette, you know. Anyways, don't translate that to the church, by the way, because that's not what we're actually talking about, you know. Uh, but in outback Australia, farmers don't have the luxury because they, they're, they're, uh, their farms are over larger geographical areas. So building fences isn't really in the equation or in the budget, right? So what farmers have to do in outback Australia is they have to sacrifice and sink uh, a borehole to create a well. So what they do is they don't, they don't do fences, but what they do is they do wells. So they sink because what happens is then over the geographical area, the, the livestock can wander wherever they want. But actually, they'll never travel too far away from the well or else they'll die. The church was never supposed to build fences. It was supposed to build wells so that people in our community could come to the well and drink. And actually, no matter what culture throws at them, no matter what society throws at them, no matter what life throws at them, they would have tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord. They could wander wherever they want and they realize, this is not the reality I should be living. And the Holy Spirit, who when they, because what happens when you taste the Spirit of God who gives you grace and freedom in your life? And then you go down and you do something with the spirit of stupidity. The spirit of stupidity, right? That was a tongue twister. We no longer, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Then all of a sudden as a church, we, we just come with the Spirit of God, the presence of God. It's why as a church we have to be focused on the presence of God. And we come in, you know, with the presence of God and with the truth of Jesus, not to beat people around the head, but actually you just come. Why don't we model truth more than we speak truth? Although we are to speak and evangelize, by the way, but that's a, uh, that's a different uh, sermon for a different day. But we have to be a people and a church that isn't about building and ring fencing people, but actually building wells in our community so people can taste the truth, the kingdom, and the presence of God.
maybe you're here. Actually, before that, when we do Easter Easter Monday or iHearts, which you know, if if you have, you know, even if you were here at the start, get access and I checked, get get the boring practicalities done so we can actually do this stuff. But when we do that, there is something what I love to call, there is, there is something about bringing the gospel and what I like to call, and many others, not just me, by the way, if I had to coin this term, I'd be filthy rich. But what they call word and deed, and scripture actually talks about it, so that's why Jesus has the economy of heaven. But in word and deed, where we are to bring the kingdom, not only by sharing about Jesus, because we, we can't be silent either, we have to actually, you know, that's not what I'm also saying to deconstruct. But there is something about when we come in, as culture changes, where they no longer, where there's offenses, or they people put up fences through all of the, the scandals and different things. By the way, this is the reality we are in. We're part of the church, a Western church that is no longer in the center, we're in the margins. But God wants to use you and I in order to bring him into the center of their lives. Sometimes I feel like God does that so that he gets the church to wake up. Remember, revival spread. Jesus was preaching in a context where the, you know, the newfound community was completely, I mean, their leader was crucified by the people that supposedly followed him. I mean, if that's not right at the margins, I don't know what is. So we're in good company. But Jesus, I feel like God sometimes brings us to a place. I'm not saying all that we are at the margins just to get us all on the flat foot. No, I'm saying it because we actually have a God who paved the way. And he wants to use you and I in order to then bring him to the center of people's stories. When we do, we serve and we do that. We present him as the radical only alternative to their lives. People look at you. How many people here have had someone in their life and they went, there's something about them. They haven't maybe told you about Jesus or they maybe have mentioned Jesus, but they've done something or they've lived in a certain way you thought, I want, would you have? Anybody have been that? Right, quite a lot of people. This is not revolutionary. It's just the Jesus way. Now, Jesus also did speak in word and, 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 and confront people. That will also be another thing. But let's get the relationship. Christians are very good at confrontation at some, in a lot of aspects and, and they don't realize you, you have to do confrontation in relationship. So maybe you're here and you're tired. Maybe you're here like, you know, there was a word released earlier that you're, you're weary and you're, you're, you're heavy burdened and you just need refreshed because you've been running on the religious treadmill for, for far too long. Your first scenario was, I came from a churchmanship that created up boundaries. Journey, we will create boundaries sub subconsciously as well. My job and our jobs to deconstruct them, which is not of the kingdom and we do that. But maybe you're here and you're tired because you've been trying to meet a, a, a church image. You've been trying to, to, to run on a religious treadmill that has got you burnt out. Or maybe you're here and you've, you've wandered away from the well. You feel like you're in the outback of Australia in a dry, harsh land. And you're going, God, where are you? Where is a well? Remember, where is a well? It's underneath. It's not always in plain sight. But it's only by asking all of a sudden. That's where he says that wells will spring up in desert places. You may be here today and I feel like there's a couple of people and you, you feel like you're in a desert place and you have no hope. You've lost all sight of his kingdom. You've been doing the Christian stuff but actually don't feel like his kingdom's on the inside of you. I want you to know that it's when you ask all of a sudden, miraculously, where you have thought there's been no springs of life and I know there's people in this room that I've sat with this week and they've told me the testimonies of this where you thought there's no springs of life and all of a sudden in a moment, wells have sprung up. Or maybe you're here and you just feel like you're a terrible Christian. He wants you to know, and if I can invite Gareth back up, 
He wants you to know that all you have to do is come back to the well. All you have to do is come back to him. That his ecclesia was never meant to be all about getting a committed core or membership or jumping the boundary hoops, but rather that we would all that we're already in when we when we when we believe. But also that we can actually come and drink and encounter the power of his presence. That's that's my prayer. If you would like to stand as, as Gareth comes, my prayer for us as a community, as an ecclesia is that we would be a well where people in our community could come and drink and encounter the power and presence of Jesus. But even more, that we would first be a well out there with them. So my prayer for you, because we can't be a well out there if he's not doing a well in here. Let me say that again. He, you can't be a well out there if he's not making you a well in here. So I'm going to invite I'm going to invite the, is there a prayer ministry team? I'm going to invite the prayer ministry team up. And I want us, if wherever you're at, I, it doesn't, your life doesn't be falling apart. But I want us to pray this morning that he would spring up a well, the living waters deep within us would come flowing out of us and in us that this house, does anybody want to see this house become a well for this community? That is my prayer. I don't want to bring any more religious stuff. I want us to be a well for this community, for a well for each other where we can experience and, and encounter the power and the presence of Jesus so that we go out there and be that well for them too. So Father, this morning I pray for every single one of us that we would come and encounter your well this morning. We would come and encounter your living waters, your presence that we would understand that you would continually to take our minds, uh, take your church out of the boxes that we placed you in. And God, that as we come together, which is so important on a Sunday and, and on different parts of the week, but God, that we would, we would decide that we're going to meet out there too. As we meet in our homes and our communities, as we, as we do outreaches and all sorts of things, God, will we be a people that would be a well, a, a freshness. We would be freshness in our community. We haven't come to please, that's not what this is about, but we will come to refresh the dry places, the harsh and hard places. So Father, come this morning as we worship you, as we lay everything down, as we come to you as we are where we're at. No amount of our wishful thinking is ever going to bring us to a place where we should be. But God, this morning, we get to come to you as we are, just like we did get got to come with that communion table. Thank you, Jesus.